0: Your first eight guys maybe should be blue plate specials, but those back five guys they should be more like tin hats—more guys that are grunt players, garbage players that dive for the ball.
1: You are listening to the Scrambled Eggs Podcast on CrackSidewalks.com. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Scrambled Eggs, your unofficial Marquette basketball podcast here on CrackSidewalks.com. We've we've delayed it long enough, Phil. It's time to wrap the season. I think we've let it simmer for a while. Let some emotions die down, but uh, it's time to put a bow on this season.
0: It's over. It's really over and horribly over, but it's over. It's done. It
1: is very, very much over. So
0: yes, final four is set.
1: Uh, Marquette is not one of the four. In case you
0: missed that news. Um, Oh, Hey, should we put a spoiler alert on the front of this uh, podcast? Or are we just going to just throw anything out there?
1: Yeah, we'll just throw anything out there. I think.
0: Okay, fair.
1: I think uh, so. I think what I'd like today, what we'd like to do in today's show, Phil. Obviously, we're going to talk about the last game. We're going to talk about the season as a whole, and maybe give a little preview ahead to the off season, some things that we're going to be looking for over the next weeks and months. But you know, I, I think one thing I would like to say, I hope we can make a theme of this podcast, Phil, is you can separate the ending from the season. Like, that game, the way it ended, was absolutely brutal. It was a terrible game, and we're going to get into all the reasons why it was terrible. But I still think you can look at the season as a whole and be proud of this team, and that's what I hope we can get out of this podcast is, yes, we hated the way it ended, I think everyone did, but... Overall, very happy with what the team accomplished this season.
0: Yeah, I think I think the bottom line is, you know, is that the the season overall in totality was was a success um, by any reasonable measure coming into the season, which is which is great. I think the the the, the unevenness or the the kind of the the peaks and the valleys were a little more extreme than we were anticipating, um, and and the way it ended, like in terms of literal, the season is done because they have lost. That was that was a major gut punch. Not not that I think anyone expected Marquette to to win that game, you know, certainly or was shocked that Marquette lost. It was just the the manner in which it was lost was was. I think emotionally tough to handle and um, you know, and I, I think it's going to be a question of, of which part of everyone's brain goes into the off season, right? The part that, that sees there's lots of hope or the part that that was like, Oh man, maybe, maybe, we, you know, maybe January was entirely an illusion and this team is really, you know, kind of bad and you know, we're going to lose some seniors and they're not going to be better and all this stuff. I, I, sh- I'm sure there's arguments in both directions, but that's really, really what we look at is the the season. I think was was a success, but I, there there's arguments where you say, you know, it was less successful than some might make it. So,
1: yeah, you know, we got some messages on Twitter saying our last podcast preview in the tournament was depressing because <laughs> uh, we basically <clears throat> said you know what a tall task North Carolina was going to be, and we didn't offer a ton of reasons why Marquette could win. I thought we offered a few, but I I think what our analysis was was pretty spot-on, that it was a tough matchup. Uh, There was, based on the way Marquette had played late in the season and the way North Carolina had played, and as we know now, continued to play, uh, they were at, they were, uh, there's a reason they were the favorite. Yep. And what our worst fear, Phil, was that's what happened. You know, I uh, just... The at the first TV timeout it was a game, but by the second TV timeout I was ready to shut it down for the day.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, the the thing that was crazy about that game is if you really if you really squinted and you really you know I I don't know had been drinking or whatever you there's an argument and I was oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah absolutely and like there's an argument to be made that the score was way worse than it really should have been, right Like Marquette lost by 32 and and may you can make an argument that the score was not reflective of you know what what it should have been right North Carolina hit more shots than they had right to and Marquette missed a lot of shots that were were open that they normally make or or whatever. And, and I tend to agree with that argument, but like, we're talking about the difference between a thirty-two point loss and a sixteen point loss, right? Like, right. Like,
1: it doesn't make me. I saw people like throw some of those stats out there. It's like, well, if the you know if the averages were to go this way, it actually would have been you know just a slightly embarrassing loss, not a total. Bl- it doesn't make me feel better. Right. Uh, Marquette got their asses kicked. I mean, let's just call it what it was. They got absolutely smoked in that game. I, uh, you know, of course, I was there at Dickies Arena, and. Uh, I was there with my brother, who I think gets a kick of seeing how animated I get during games, and he was very much looking forward to seeing how intense I was going to be during this game, but he was very disappointed that I was basically lifeless (laughs) for 70% of it. Because I I was just like, all right, give me another beer. Because I, you know, after, once they got through halfway through the first, like, would you agree, like, halfway through that first half, like... You knew there was no no chance of a win.
0: Yeah, I I, I think I agree with that. I, I mean, I, I again I tend to hold out hope that that something can recover, but but the shots just weren't going in. So I, I think certainly by halftime, I was I was well on the way to well. I just want to see how it plays out. Like there was no there was no winning. Yeah, I after that,
1: I definitely remember telling my brother and uh, my buddy who I was there with. They were like, "Hey, man, you know, there's still a second half to play." I said drinks are on me all weekend if they come back and win this game and they're like oh and i'm like don't worry i'm not going to spend the <laughs> right, <on>. like, right. <laughs> this this thing this thing is over um and, you know the, the, the number one frustrating thing for me was uh, after that first TV timeout. By the way, the game got off to that, like, torrid, like really tough, fast pace. Yeah, because, it
0: went six minutes straight.
1: Yeah, with, like, right? no fouls called. And I think the, both teams were kind of gassed the first timeout. But they came out of that first timeout with that lineup of uh, Cam and Greg Elliott and David Joplin, which is. As has been pretty well established over the last month, is a very tough defensive lineup. And I mean, when I mean tough, tough for Marquette, because it's not very good. Uh, they they just... It's, it's get, bad. Like, yeah, let, let's they, be honest, it's bad. They, I mean, those guys, I, I I understand getting all those guys playing time. I don't understand getting those guys playing time together. Because Cam is not a great defender. Greg has not been a great defender this year, especially after he's had his late-season injury. And, and Joplin is not a great defender. And when you got all three of them out there together man, that is rough. And boy, the game got away from Mar- Marquette so quick with that lineup out there. And if I'm going to be hard on shock on one thing, it's that. It's that. Why did you throw that lineup out there? Because um, that's when North Carolina built a huge lead and Marquette never recovered.
0: Yeah, and and, and that lineup stayed out there for, like, you know, there, there wasn't a let's call a timeout and, and get this caught up, I think, in, in three minutes of game time. Um, that lineup cost the team something like eight points or, or 11 points, even something like that. It, it was, abs- it was an absurd amount of point differential, you know, basically they scored no points and gave up. I, I now that I look at it, it was 11 points. Um, that's bad. That's like real super duper bad. Right. Like, and so yeah, they didn't, yeah, they, Yeah. They didn't score any. Right. Right. Correct. And
1: and and it was just, it was just such a lopsided effort and North Carolina just took over the game and there was just no recovering from there.
0: No, absolutely not. And now, and again, you kind of go, well, you know, wasn't our tournament, you know, uh, you know, we're in in year one and stuff, but I, I do think I, I, I don't, I don't know that it raises to a level of concern, but I think what was, was obvious in, in the January run was that that Shaka was able to pull the right strings, right to put the right lineups, to put the players in the right positions um, uh, to be successful, and and there wasn't really any you know any bad la- la- lineups, and you know even the ones that were poor defensively made up for it in in their scoring prowess, and and I think in the last six weeks of the season, and especially that North Carolina game, there were just some inexplicable lineups that, that had, you know, no defensive capabilities whatsoever and offensively just seemed to go into a shell. Right. And like, you know, so maybe, maybe the team went, you know, some players went cold and, you know, and and Shaka made the best choices with what he had, but, but I, I am a little bit concerned that that Shaka seemed to lose the touch of lose touch of what lineups would be successful for him. It's um, yeah, something that in I world. really can't
1: back up with any <clears throat> stats or analytics or anything. But, like, it just feels like the defensive intensity that was there in January was not there uh, for the last six weeks of the season. They, they yeah. just – their defense during that hot streak was as legit as legit could be. You know, they got up to, like, 25 in the nation on Ken Palm on adjusted defensive efficiency. Uh, I think yep. they finished – what did they finish, 55? Something like that.
0: Yes. Uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, let me they fit,
1: see. Yeah, so yep, they 55. dropped 30 spots in Kempom over the last six weeks. But, you know, it, it, the, the defensive intensity was not there. For what reason, I don't know exactly. But, it, you know, it just seems like they were just relentless, aggressive defenders against some very good teams like Villanova and Seton Hall and uh, and, and Xavier, right? Like, and they just wore those teams down in Providence, and that intensity was not there late in the season. And maybe it's just it's a, it's a product of a young team that maybe it's hard to be that good defensively for an entire season, and maybe they all got tired or worn down, or maybe some guys were dealing with minor injuries that not bad enough to keep them off the floor, but annoying enough that maybe they're a step slow here or there. I don't know what it was, but the defense was noticeably not as strong. In the uh, in the late goings of the season, yes, both both in the half court and in transition defense, Marquette's transition defense was always rough, and that was a thing we talked about as a big concern going into the Carolina game was uh, the transition defense. So, um, I don't know what happened, but something noticeably happened to the defense.
0: Yeah, well, and so, you know, I think what, what you know you you bring up a good point. So all the weaknesses were always there, right? You had um, you had just the the not good rebounding. And then, you know, and that never got better with, but that was kind of baked into the pie. And then we had bad transition D kind of all along. So that again, that's kind of, I don't know, baked into the pie, but then all of a sudden the half court defense went to garbage and the offense at times was stagnant. I mean, let, let's be honest in that first half, you know, and this is, this ties back to the point of, Hey, we would have lost 16 instead of 32, but like, the offense was generating looks. Like there was even one one scenario where Morcel got a you know a six foot jumper that he clanged off the rim. Um, but if you look at it, there were five North Carolina players within three feet of him, and Tyler Kolick and Justin Lewis were wide open in, uh, on both wings for corner threes, and, and the pass didn't just didn't get made. So you know, and I bring that up not to say hey Daryl Morcel did a bad job. I'm just saying. He got he he got within six feet of the rim for a legit jumper, missed it. Plus had two wing players that could have hit threes, and they didn't go in. Right. So at, at some point, I think the I think the strategy on offense was fine, and I think you know the personnel was okay. But like at some point, they just got to execute right. They got to hit shots. But conversely, I'm not sure that the defense like was a player issue per se. I, I, you know, I question if the, the defense ever adapted, you know, do you think it was more intensity or do you think it was like offenses, just knowing how to beat it?
1: I mean, maybe the book was out on them a little bit, but I, I just feel like there were other teams got more wide open looks. I feel like there were some guys that would, that would lose their man here and there. And, and, uh, just make it easier on the other teams to, to hit shots, and again, losing your man on in transition too is also an issue. So, um, yeah, I, I think there is there maybe have was some lack of intensity that was that was there in January that just wasn't there at the end of the season. But you know, you bring up another point there about the you know getting close to the basket. I mean, how many layups did Marquette miss in oh, that game? Oh, so not, many. Just shots within five feet just again if they make them all they probably still lose by 15 ish but when you miss that many shots from point blank range it is just soul crushing and you just feel like it's not your day and that's the way I was feeling watching that game it's
0: like well and not only that like the the transition d is a problem right and if you don't put the ball in the basket guess it guess what you're facing the whole day transition (laughs) you know Yep, and they weren't able to handle it. So
1: it sucked. Nobody yeah. liked it and, you know, it's just the unfortunate thing. Yeah. S- since 2013, we got to wear that for another year, right? Marquette hasn't yeah. won a tournament yeah. game since t- 2013. Shaka Smart hasn't won a tournament game since 2013. We just got to wear it. Um and maybe we'll break through next year, year after that. It's got to end at some point, but it uh definitely was not close at all to ending this year. But, you know, as much as we hammer the end of the season, Phil, uh, that's not the entire story. You know, it's not the entire season. And I think there's a lot of positives to take away. You know, know, most people, uh, like, just remember the way it ended, and I get it. But, uh, you know, like Tony Stark said, man, part of the journey is the end. The end is just a part of it. you got to remember the whole journey. And the whole journey was pretty great. Um, This team came out from the beginning of the season, got some nice wins early on, got us believing, and then they cranked it up a notch in January on that big winning streak, uh, that eight-game winning streak, and really got us believing. They were projected as a very high seed. They were way up there in Ken Kenpom, and, yeah, they sputtered down the stretch. That's part of the story, too. But, um, yeah, I'm not going to let, like, the tough ending to this season define it so you know the, that's something people always say our coaches always say after a tough loss don't let it define you don't this doesn't define us so my question to you phil is what does define this team
0: um i i think what defines this team is a young team trying to find its way and it captured a, a magic for you know I, I think there's there was more magic than just just january right i mean obviously the non-conference was there was there were special moments there so i i think what defines this team is a a young team and a young staff that managed to put it together for some of the time but just couldn't put it together for all of the time or at the perfect time right i mean there's an argument to be made if if uh, you know things are totally different, if you rearrange stuff and Marquette plays like they did in January, starting mid-February until the, in the run-up to March, you know maybe you know maybe Marquette's going further in the dance because they're hot and, and ready to go. So I think I think what defines them is just trying to to put it together for a whole season instead of you know a chunk of the season.
1: Yeah, I agree. I, I, I'll I remember this team as a team that came together much, quick, much more quickly and better than we thought they would. Because I think most people expected bottom half of the Big East, very little shot at the tournament, hope they can make the NIT, and then let's build with all these freshmen and sophomores and see what can happen next year. Well, all these freshmen and sophomores, they at least got a taste of the tournament. And they got a wake-up call of what it takes to be good in the tournament. They got their brains beat in. And all the guys who are back next year, they're going to remember that. Like, we were good last year, but, boy, we sputtered down the stretch and we carried that into March and we got our butts kicked. So I think they will be stronger for it next year. We'll see what the entire team looks like next year. We'll get to that a little later. But I, I think as a team that grew... Faster than we thought, a team that is ahead of schedule, and I think that's what I'll remember about Shaka's first season. Was it overall awesome? Hey you know, maybe that's overstating it. It was pretty good, though. I enjoyed it. I yeah. enjoyed watching Marquette basketball this year. As a, like even late in the season when they were sputtering, it didn't feel like a chore to watch them. I was still excited to Correct. watch them play, um, as opposed to recent years where it's like, oh god, Marquette's on. I guess I got to watch. Um, I didn't feel that way. You know, I I was genuinely excited to watch them play each and every night. And I'm excited to see their first game next year, whenever that eventually comes. So ahead of schedule, fun to watch, easy to cheer for. And Shaka Smart has said many times, first year is about culture, building culture. And I think he did that. Now the question is, can you build on that culture? Because, um, yeah, this season was an overachievement. It w- they did better than we thought. But, you know, if we go four or five years down the road and every season ends like this with sputtering late and blowouts in March, our tune would probably change a little bit. But you've got to give him a little right. credit that he did much better than we thought. And even with the late season sputter, the entire body of work was much better than we thought. And I think I am proud of that
0: yeah i i agree i and i think that's the thing like when i saw people so disappointed and and obviously there's there's a difference between disappointment in a single game tournament versus disappointment on the season as a whole etc but i i think that's the thing when when people were were very you know upset about you know marquette f- failures down the down the stretch and oh here we go again and stuff one in the season it felt totally different right like what what encapsulated the previous regime was inexplicable win followed by inexplicable couple of losses, followed by where'd that win come from. You know you know what I mean? Like the fact that we won won steadily and consistently in in January, and you could still see the pieces of that in February and March. Yes, it was frustrating that it that it didn't come along, people, you know, got cold, stuff like that. So, you know, I, I, I get that, but, but people being upset about the, the season as a whole, it's like, guys, you, you got to remember where we started, right? Like, right. you know, it's, it's, you know, not to, not to steal from any Canadians like Drake, but, you know, we were kind of thinking we were going to be on the bottom and then we weren't right. And, and so is, is where we finished this season or what we experienced this season, what the expectation for Mark? Marquette should be every year? No, of course not. Absolutely not. If if that were the case, you know, then we could have just kept Wojo and saved ourselves six million dollars, right? right? But but having you know, having expectations raised mid season by a terrific a terrific run is a good thing, right? Um and two, this is year one of a new regime, had what, forty five days to reconstitute a roster during You know, and and when you think about it, like, you know, Shaka was rebuilding this roster in the heyday of the portal, right? Like everyone can transfer, NIL became a thing, like, and the fact that he was able to put together this talented of a roster um, that was this cohesive for a sustained period of time is pretty remarkable. And that, if we're reflecting on the positive side of things, that you know, as they say, is something we can build on, right? To your yeah. point of of the culture, there there's enough here that is sustainable, repeatable, and and built for the long run. Um, that I'm I'm really really excited about where it's going to go. Yes, the individual elements kind of suck, but I think the long term picture is is pretty bright.
1: Yeah, you know, the you bring up the point about sustainable and repeatable. I think that's the one thing that's the most puzzling or frustrating thing about me is that that winning streak did not feel like a fluke. It felt legitimate and sustainable and repeatable because I thought they were really just... Yeah, well, we, we, said we said that. Said that multiple right? times.
0: We, we literally said that in the pod.
1: They were just bludgeoning people defensively, and the offense was coming around, and I it felt like now, I didn't think they were going to win every game for the rest of the season, but it felt like they were going to be legitimately top twenty five good the rest of the year. Didn't happen that way, and that's the one thing that puzzles me, and I you know maybe shocking the staff or searching for answers to that in the off of what exactly happened there. But uh, yeah, I, I agree with you know all your points. There is that. They, uh, they they laid a great foundation. They they've established the culture, and now it's on all these young guys to carry that culture over. Remember, you talk about the turnover. One thing, another thing, you didn't leave, uh, you kind of left out as far as uh, the circumstances. They were still in, like I, I wouldn't say peak COVID, but very much in the COVID era of trying to get right. these guys to transfer. And I'm sure some of them like visited the campus, uh, virtually, before before they even set up set foot on campus and. So And then, yet yeah, to be able to build that roster, nine new faces, nine guys who were either in their first or second year of college, only three guys who were on the roster last year, two of which who really played because Oso barely played last year. The only guys who had played significant minutes last year were Greg right. and Justin. And all that turnover and to have it come together in time to be a competitive team that made the tournament uh, – you gotta be proud of that. you got to salute Shaka for that. So the question is all these guys that are returning now, can you build on it? and I think that was one thing that was so important bringing in Daryl morcell and Kirkqueth to defensive oriented uh fifth year seniors, right? those are the guys who are going to right uh, they they set the foundation as far as what this team is going to be built on as far as a defensive culture and I now will the young guys remember that? Next year, say, look, this is the way Daryl and Kerr played defensively, right? We can't let our guard down as a defensive team because those guys are gone now. We still need to play defense, like especially like Daryl did. So that's going to be on next year's team to carry that over. So overall, proud. You know, if I'm grading it, I, I got to give it, you know, a B plus. I, I think because it's a, way more than a passing grade. Would you like a little more? Yes, you you would love to. You would have loved to get a tournament win. You would have loved to finish stronger. But all things considered, rock solid season. Now let's build on it.
0: Yeah, I, I'm with you. I mean, like you said, the the fact that the the games were enjoyable, even even in the losses, they weren't a chore. Yes, they were frustrating, and and yes, there are things. Hey, turns out Shaka's not perfect, right? Like there are were there coaching mistakes and personnel selection choices and our lineup choices and and some strategies and some, you know, like the the foul, not fouling up three against Creighton, et cetera, et cetera. Right. There, there were things that you could do better. Um, And, you know, now I will say, I think they will do better, but you know, there were things that were, were improvable, but at no point did they amass to, oh my God, what a clown show this is. Like none of this makes sense. And we're, we're lucky to be here. I mean, there was, you know, like you said we talked about the sustainable and it turned out to not be sustainable but that wasn't you know that wasn't lack of effort or that wasn't you know like uh you know anything crazy like the, you know maybe the players got tired there's there's legitimate reasons for it but you know the the games weren't chores they were they they were fun to watch even when they were losing for the most part except for that to Paul game. Um you know, so yeah,
1: we gotta stop doing that. Yeah, yeah,
0: we really need to end that habit. Um so again, I'm I'm optimistic for the future. I, I'm with you. I, I think it's a B plus. Um, you know, there's room for growth. Now maybe that's grading on a curve because of where we thought the team was gonna be. But man, yes. it, it 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 was it was fun to be a Marquette fan again there for a while. And and that's all I It really was wanted. and I
1: think that's another thing that's Another, I think that's another thing that's exciting to build on, like, not so much the team itself, but the off the court stuff. Uh, whether it's fans in the arena or just fans interacting with the team on, on social media, there are several people who I have never heard from on Twitter who were, you know, chatting me up or popping up in my mentions about Marquette basketball. That's great to see. Like usually it's the same little kinda core of people that I either follow or just interact with uh a lot during the Wojo years there were a lot more people getting on social media and talking about Marquette basketball. And I, I, you know, more people at the games, I think, Phil, I know great attendance was up because there was no there was no attendance at all last year, but, uh, you know, I think there, the, the buzz is back about the program. And as hopefully knock on wood, you know, as COVID continues to fade out of existence, you know, or at least to to the point that are people really nervous about it, um, people are going to come back more and more as far as at the arena and being involved with the team. So hopefully the fan base continues to get more excited about this team. And, you know, the best way to do that is win, right? Right. Just win more, last longer in March, uh, and fans will care. And when you're winning, they care. When you're losing, they don't. And when you're boring, they stop watching. When you're frustrating, they stop watching. When you're fun and exciting, and you're winning games, they're showing up. And that's what happened this year.
0: Yeah, I agree. I I mean, I I think the crowds were you know the the crowds were there for some of the games, and I think they were even starting to remember a little bit what what when what, when to cheer and and what that all meant and, and that sort of thing. Um, so the, the the fans had to get back to use, get used to it again. But you can definitely see there's a, an opportunity in place to really grow this program back. Now I, I think I think there's going to have to be um, some effort on Marquette's side, on all all sides. Right? I mean, you know, we haven't talked about uh, the roster turnover this coming out of the season, but there's there's certainly a number of players that. You know, played important roles that either for sure because they they've run out of eligibility or uh, are likely to not be on this roster because you know the siren song in the NBA is calling. Um, so there's there's work on the roster for next season. Um, you know, the the team's going to have to figure out how to be sustainable the whole season. But also the university is going to figure, have to figure out how do we bring all the fans back? How do we put butts in seats? How do we get the build on the enthusiasm and sell this program, right? Because I think there's been some missed opportunities to really, you know, I, and and I get it. I think the university was probably going, well, we don't know what's going to happen with this COVID thing. We don't know when, you know, when we're going to be able to open this wide open, et cetera, et cetera, you know, er, you know, erring on the side of caution, all of that. But I definitely think there's opportunity to get out there and really push this team out there and and get an appetite for it because, you know, I think I think the the fan base is ready for it. It's just you know, are we are we going to get our act together?
1: Yeah, and I think they will. And I you know I think they did some fun things this year. Uh, they could always do more. But you know I you know I think the behind the scenes YouTube series was cool. Yep. Um, they the uh, the. Shaka shirt giveaway for students that, that was, was fun i like that um you know, just more fun stuff like that and uh you know i don't know what else what other kind of ideas they're gonna have for next year but i'm sure they'll come up with some fun stuff and hopefully um continue to draw the buzz around this team so um you know you touched on offseason phil you want to shift gears a little bit and maybe talk about offseason checklists yes what are we looking for uh turnover wise um First thing, all right, so obviously the guys we know are gone. Uh, Daryl Morcel is out of eligibility. Kirk Queth is out of eligibility. Greg Elliott went through senior day, and all indications are that he is done at least at Marquette, if not college altogether. Um, Granted, he still has a COVID year, but he hasn't said what he's going to do with that. But, again, the way he went through senior day ceremonies, said things like this is my last time in this uniform, this is my last time in this building. Uh, I am personally not expecting Greg Elliott back been surprised before so those are the three guys that are two guys who are definitely gone and one guy we're assuming is gone then the big x factor phil of course is the justin lewis decision yep he has been in mock drafts he has been projected maybe late first early second he did not have the big statement moment in the tournament that maybe he was hoping for like a big wow showing to get scouts really buzzing about him. He didn't have that, but no scout worth their salt is going to judge a guy on one game. Um, I, I get the indication is that he is leaving. I am assuming that he is until we get confirmation otherwise, but his decision is obviously a big X factor as far as where we're going to set expectations
0: for next year. Yeah. I, I think, I mean, we, we can speculate specifically on, on Justin's situation here in the moment, but in the context of whether if, if he stays with Marquette, I think that that puts Marquette in a considerably more advantageous position um, than if he goes. Not saying that Marquette can't be good next year if Justin Lewis leaves, but it's just there are a lot fewer unknowns if he returns. Um Really? Yeah. So you you think Justin Lewis coming back would be good then? I, I, you know, it feels like he'd probably pre- be pretty good for this team. Um, I mean,
1: anytime, you know, if he came back, he would be the preseason player of the year in the conference. Right. 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 Like, no doubt. Like, like, I I can't think of who else. I can't think of who else, especially now that I hate it for him, but now that Justin Moore tore his Achilles, he won't be the preseason player of the year next year for Villanova. Uh, so, I, I'm not sure who else would be up there with Justin Lewis as far as a preseason player of the year. So if, if he were to come back, he would be the preseason player of the year, I think.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, that's the obvious choice. Cause I mean, one of the things, and we don't need to get into it just now, but the big East is going to be probably pretty bad next year, right? Like now, obviously there's the transfer portal and, you know, people can see what's going on with new coaching staffs and, and, you know, choose different situations for themselves, etc. So a lot can change, right? Like nothing is set in stone. Um, but I think on the whole, the big East is likely to be pretty bad next season, um, which means that like there's, there's an opening for Marquette to be good. If Justin comes back, I think that that helps Marquette take a, a significant step towards that goal. Now, having said that, I don't, A, I don't think Justin's back. Um, would I want him back? Absolutely. I'd love him. I'd love for him to be back. Of course. But I, I think he's going to the NBA. I think he if he gets any projections that are back half for the first round or early second round, not only do I think he's gone, but I mean honestly, he should probably go. Go get like, you know, I I, I love Justin as a Marquette player, but get the money while the money's there, right? Like, you know, look at yeah. look look at you know, Justin Moore as an example, right? You know, yes, you can recover. People get Achilles injuries all the time. He can recover. He'll hopefully be fine. I mean, Kevin Durant had a had a had a, a a torn Achilles and is back to normal now and all of that stuff. But what if an injury happens, right? Like, get the money while the money's there. Is 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 my whole yeah. thing.
1: Yeah, I, I tend to agree, and you know, I nil stuff tends to skew that a little bit. Sure, like if you're. Not a surefire draft pick. Um, The opportunities to make money as a college athlete are there now. Now, is it enough to offset going to the pros? Probably not, but it depends on how high you're drafting and if your contract's guaranteed. But, you know, making a little money as a Marquette basketball player is probably more enjoyable than making, you know, a very small salary playing in Europe, right? Um, right. You know, th- granted some Euro- some European leagues play extremely well, but not all of them do. Like especially if you're going to a very tiny league just to get your feet wet, right? Your first pro basketball job. It may not pay very well. Well, a lot of X factors there. I certainly expect Justin to at least declare and retain eligibility to at least explore the process. I'd be shocked if he didn't at least do that. Right,
0: because they can still go all the way up to like the draft camp. And before they yep. have to withdraw, correct?
1: Uh, I believe that is still the case. I've kind of lost track of the rules over the years,
0: but that yeah. sounds right. Well, and the other thing to note, right? Like again, I, I understand that nil, and I'm always hopeful that hopeful that nil will 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 help incentivize some players to stay, right? Like, and and we've said it in years past, right? There have been players that gone into the draft. Um, oh, uh, uh, Bailey, Brendan Bailey w- went into the NBA draft and that was just, oh, what are you doing, man? Right? Like, and, and NIL may be an NIL situation helps him chase, ch- stay, choose to stay at a, at a program where he can, he can better himself in the, through the college experience. But, you know, let's, let's just be realistic. I just looked up the rookie, the 2001, one two thousand or 2021-2022 uh, NBA rookie scale, the 30th overall pick had a guaranteed salary in year one of $1.6 and that grew to $1.83 in year three of that contract. There is no NIL deal out there that is the equivalent of that, right? Unless, I don't know. Like, At least not David for Marquette Gilbert... basketball. <laughs> What's that? At least not for Marquette basketball.
1: Maybe right. Tennessee football but not Marquette basketball.
0: Correct. Like I, I don't, I don't think David Gruber just has, you know, $1.5 million laying around in his couch that he's going to fork over. So Justin Lewis can, can rep, you know, Gruber law offices and and,
1: (laughs) you'd have to sell, you'd have to sell a lot of duck nachos.
0: Yes. All of the duck, not literally the the world would have to run out of duck nachos for Justin to make that kind of, that kind of coin. So I, you know, NIL helps to, to for some players who it's the right right move for to stay in school. If Justin is a late first, early second draft pick, that's, you know, NIL is yeah, that's I, quaint. Yeah, I think... It, no. Yeah, it's not.
1: The thing is, even though second-round contracts don't have to be guaranteed, they can be. Right. Uh, and I, I think it, a lot of NBA teams do guarantee contracts for second-round picks that they're really high on. So... You know, some some teammate may tell Justin, "Hey, we're you know, if if you're there in the second round, we'll not only take you, but we'll give you a guaranteed contract." Right. So there's plenty of opportunities. So yeah, I am anticipating Justin Lewis going, and we'll just be surprised if he doesn't. So beyond that, Phil, um, the other thing to watch for is the transfer portal. Uh, I I don't know if I'm anticipating anybody leaving Marquette, but I've been surprised before, obviously. But uh, I think obviously there probably needs to be at least one transfer in, maybe more pending Justin's decision.
0: Right. yep. so so if you look at what's for sure on the roster next year, you know, obviously Justin's an unknown, and there's at least one more off for opening that we know of. Um, so because that, wait, I'm, I'm, I'm now I'm confusing myself. So if if Greg's for sure out and Justin's an unknown, that leaves us a one that leaves us one open roster spot for next season, for sure. Cause if Justin leaves, that would be two, correct? Correct. Yes. yes. Um, so we know there's going to be somebody coming in for sure. Maybe two, somebody's. I, you know, I would hope it with as big as Shaka has been on culture building and, um, you know, doing things the right way and, and year one really about setting the foundation that, that everything is built upon. Um, I would hope that 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 is is being well received by the team and and likely to result in in no no transfers out I'm not going to speculate are there will there be transfers out or and if there are I'm certainly not going to speculate on who they would be um yeah but but I I while I wouldn't take it as a sign of of like disaster a transfer out would be a little bit concerning just simply because again yeah, and I think, I think the culture is important, and it seems like everyone's built in, uh, bought in. So you know, it. I I suppose it'll depend on who it is if someone transfers out, but you know, I, right. I, if it's not a great know, sign, right?
1: Yeah, like I don't I don't like to speculate about transfers out because, you know, it may be a guy who's very happy to be here and doesn't want. To, I don't want to make him feel like unwanted, right? Right. Um, Anybody who wants to be here next year would love to have you. But, right. Uh, I, I would say this. If 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 a person transfers out who is looking at very little playing time next year, I get it. Right. I would understand. If it would be if a person who is projected to start transfers out, that would be the red flag that I think you're talking yes, about. Yes, correct. If, like guy, a guy who's looking at significant playing time, uh, major minutes, if not starting, that would make me wonder, hmm maybe the culture isn't as strong as I thought. So I think that's kind of what you're getting at there is major contributors leaving. That's what hurts. If, if it's the 12th guy on the roster who just wants to start somewhere, I get it. Good luck to you. But if it's a guy that you're counting on for next year, who says, I'm, I'm, I don't want to be here. That would be a concern.
0: Yep. Agreed. Yep. You nailed it better than, than I did. Yeah. I, I, I don't, (laughs) I, you know, and again, I don't, I don't want to force anyone to stay or anything like that, and I'm not going to hit the panic button because, hey, let's you know, and and I refuse to to do the whole like old man yelling at clouds thing that a lot of sports writer sports writers like to do about oh it's terrible the transfer portal's ruining the game da 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 I actually think it's making the game better, but um, you know so this is not me poo pooing the transfer portal in general. But, I mean, transfers are just more likely in this era. So, you know, I think on the positive side, if Shaka is is able to essentially re-recruit the existing roster and keep them all in place, you know, again, Justin aside as, as someone potentially going to the NBA, um, if he's able to re-recruit the existing roster and then bring in, you know, let's assume Justin leaves, two more talents that to me says hey we've got a foundation we've got a culture here that players are bought into that's going to make retaining talent into the future more um more likely which i think is an ability in of itself right like if 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 you are not building for continual roster turnover then you can develop good players, right? You can have a, a you know, look at Oso Igadaro, right? Last year, uh, nobody knew how to pronounce his name. Nobody really saw him play. He got what, eight minutes, right? And then, yeah, he had some ups and downs this season, but like just an absolute revelation, re- revelation, right? As, as a player. And I mean, if he continues a pace, there's an argument he could get to, you know, an NBA caliber type player, right? Um, those types of developing players don't happen if the, the, the talent is turning over more frequently. And so I think that's going to be the key is can Shaka retain the talent because that's his intent.
1: Yeah, roster continuity can be a, a very valuable thing. And Marquette had like none of it this year. Correct. Right? Um, because of the uh, of the coaching turnover and the roster transfer, uh, roster turnover. But if you've got, Nine, ten guys on next year's team who are who are back, um, you know that's continuity and that's how you keep growing. Especially if it's a bunch of guys that you believe in, a guy that guys that you can develop. And if everybody gets a little bit better, maybe as you said earlier, in a, a Big East where maybe a low win total is good enough to get you in first place, um, you know. Whereas you know this this year you had to get up to. Well, this year was weird because of Providence, but for Villanova, sixteen wins wasn't enough to win the league um because of the way it worked out. But that would you know if next year, if it is down a little bit, maybe you could be really mucked up at the top, and it's uh, it may be a little easier to compete. But if you've got a lot of guys coming back you believe in and you add something, then maybe you could be kind of in the mix. I'm not saying they can win the biggest championship this year, but I'm also not not saying
0: that right, yeah, we don't we don't but, know nearly enough, but I mean, they're certainly right. not out of the discussion, right? I mean, their roster, right. if only Justin leaves and they bring in two 2 people, that's probably, if you look around the Big East, other than maybe Creighton, that's the least roster turnover in the Big East. Yeah. So,
1: what needs to be added, though? I mean, is it too simple to just say rebounding? Is, is that the number one thing
0: we need? <sighs> I don't... I, I, I mean... Uh, yes, I think there are players that absolutely are good rebounders, right? I mean, Henry Ellenson was a great rebounder, right? Um, but I don't know. I, I think that the rebounding is more of a style problem than it is a personnel problem to a certain extent. Or at least, you know, rebounding was didn't seem to be a point of emphasis. Um, so I'm more concerned about, like, I think we're going to need another big behind Oso, right like he's not going to play 37 minutes a game right and we're not going to and if Justin's gone we're not going to likely you know i don't see david joplin as a center in a small ball formation right so um we're going to need some we're going to need
1: some a teejare yeah teejare figures in somewhere in there right. but i don't know
0: exactly where yeah when and, and i don't like Unless they they you know and obviously the the staff is looking at the players every day and you know coaching them up and and all that stuff so if they look at at, at and say yep he's he's the next Oso okay cool uh, that's, that's fine uh, <laughs> that makes me nervous right like uh, kind of just putting your faith in someone sight unseen so that's where I would go out and find an established I don't know a junior senior something like that that's big man. Um, I, I think that, you know, especially with, with Shaka's history of, 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 you know, developing and getting big men into the NBA, I, I think there's, if there's someone out there for, for the getting Shaka can do that. And I think that's to me the most glaring weakness on the team. And I think the other one is probably a guard. Um, you know, I, I like how much Stevie Mitchell came on late in the season. In fact, I, I would have rather... I would have liked to have seen them play Stevie more than they did, right? I, I feel like he he did not get enough enough PT uh, late in the game, especially compared to how he was playing. Um, but I do think they need, you yeah. know, another guard.
1: Maybe so. Maybe so. Um, you know, apparently they love Ellis a lot. They just want to see him develop a little more. But uh, apparently the staff is just raves about the potential of Ellis. So... We'll see if, if he figures into the mix next year. You know, obviously the leadership and toughness of Daryl Morcel is going to be missed quite a bit. Um, whoever is brought in better be ready to play defense, yeah. Because I, I think um, Marquette and Shaka is going to want a guy to come in and continue this defensive culture. I think all the young guys who are returning. Know it, but I think Shaka wants to make sure they don't forget it and make sure they remember a big reason why this season fell apart is they lost that defensive intensity. And if you can bring in a guy who is an intense defender, who is an aggressive, smart defender, uh, that fits into the culture Shaka wants. So um, Shaka is definitely not going to bring in anybody who is all offense and just chucks it and doesn't guard anybody. That is not the type of player Shaka is looking for.
0: Right. Yep. And, and it'll be, it'll be interesting as, you know, like you said, it there's going to be a defensive first mentality. Um, you know, and again, this was since the VCU days, this was the first team for Shaka that did not finish in the Ken Palm top 40 defensively. Right. So like mm-hmm. he, he's got a type, so to speak, or, or something he's looking to do. Um, so you you know he's gonna to want to go back there. What I'm gonna be curious is how effective they are offensively, right? Um, you know, and, and maybe you say, hey, if we play really great defense, the offense will come um, to a certain extent. I kind of feel that's that's Villanova's thing, right? That they are they are a defensive a defensive first team, um, and and Marquette was the, like that in January, and, and you could really you could really see how it uh, how it turned out. Um, so may, maybe we'll see, but I, I definitely think to your point, it's going to be, everything's going to be defensive based. Anyone coming in has to be good defensively. Uh, otherwise they're not going to shout to Villanova. Shouts to Villanova, by the way, thanks for
1: carrying the big East and getting again these tournament shares again, again,
0: and poor, poor J Wright gets a done man.
1: I got so much respect for that guy and that program. I don't know how the heck Marquette beat Villanova twice this year. Um, but they did, and you know, Villanova is everything I wish Marquette could be, right? Right. Like I, like I, I don't want to be, I don't want to be Duke. I don't want to be Carolina or Kansas, a, a, a team that has just millions and millions of fans like all over the country. I like that we have a small community where, like, a high percentage of our fans are alumni. Like, either either alumni or their parents went to the school, or there's probably a small percentage who are just grew up in Wisconsin and hated Wisconsin, so they gravitated to us, but I feel like our fan base, like, it's a higher percentage of fans who actually attended the school. And I love that about it. And, uh, so, and I, Villanova has that kind of persona about it, too. It's like, it's Its fan base is nowhere near as far-reaching as Kentucky or Duke or Kansas, but it is a private school that has become a blue blood, that is going to Final Fours, wins championships, plays disciplined offensive and defensively every single night, uh, recruits well, but doesn't recruit one and duns a lot. They just build a culture and build and develop guys. And I love that, too. So, again, Villanova is everything that I wish Marquette could be. And maybe they will be someday. But when I look at what do you want Marquette to be, what's your dream scenario, it's Villanova for me.
0: Yeah, I'm with you. I, I, I couldn't have said it better. And, you know, and again, I like, you know, I, they're, they're likable, right? Like, they're all those things you described, plus, plus they're likable, whereas – you know, whereas there are some other Big East teams that are, you know, that that had good seasons this year, that are decided, not as likable. Yeah, decidedly unlikable. So, you know, yeah. we'll see. But you, you still got to recruit. You, you still got to cheer for the Big East teams in general, because man, we need those sweet, sweet tournament chairs just to to fund things around here, right? Till we uh, till we get yeah, everything uh, back up and running well.
1: Exactly. Yeah, something I tweeted out earlier this week, since the new Big East was formed, Villanova has 22 tournament wins. All other teams in the Big East combined have 21. Yeah. So, the rest of us aren't pulling our weight, Phil. No. Especially the fact that, like like, Xavier and Butler and Creighton actually have a few. It's like the rest of the Catholic Seven, not Villanova, who is really not pulling their weight as far as postseason tournament wins. Like, uh, Georgetown has won in the last 10 years. Seton Hall has won. Marquette, St. John's, and DePaul all have zero. UConn has zero as a Big East team. Obviously, they won the national title in 2014. But as a Big East team, they have zero. Uh, so, again, the rest of us need to kind of step up our game as far as tournament wins.
0: And hopefully that happens next year. But... We'll see. Yeah, I, we'll but see. I mean, the thing—the uh, thing to take away from one thing to take away from that is, winning tournament games is hard. <laughs> you know, it is very hard. It is. You know, I, I, mean, I think I, we
1: make it harder than it should be. Yes. But it—it it is hard. And it's unpredictable. And that's what makes that tournament so great. Uh, freaking Saint Peter's in Jersey City, New Jersey—a tiny little Jesuit school—they got three tournament wins this year. How unbelievable is that? Yeah.
0: Well, I, the yeah, the first, I, I, it feels like the chaos is expanding. I mean, the, it's a recency bias, but we had the first what 15 seed to the lead Eight, or excuse me, to the Sweet 16 last year, and now this year with St. Peter's. Uh, no, actually, there was a uh, Gulf Coast was the first. Okay, go. Uh, but but again, was within the last decade, right? And now, yeah, yeah, within the last decade, yeah, we've had uh, yeah, we've had
1: a f- two 15 seeds win two games. One of them won three games. We had the first 16 seed to beat a one. So yeah, the, uh, the little schools are rising up a little bit.
0: Yeah. I I mean, I think, uh... I think that's part of the, I think the talent is kind of like distributing throughout. Um, We'll see how NIL changes that and the, the transfer portal and stuff like that. But I mean, it's, it's great. I mean, the product take the officials out of it. The, the overall product is just, is just hopping, man. It's it's great. Like, these yeah. games are uh, outstanding. Yeah,
1: I don't want to extend this podcast by another half hour, but my God, we've got to do something about yes. officiating. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, and and end-of-game situations. My only quick take on it is we have got to really, really rethink monitor reviews, because enough already. Yeah. Like, like the end-of-game timeout situation is bad enough, but when you're going to the monitor every other play for two minutes, the game is unwatchable. And I hate it so much. Yes,
0: I I completely agree. And, and like, I just think, like, we even had a side chat where they were talking about, like, the officials are, like, in the regular season are on the road, like, eight days in a row, and they're driving all over the country to officiate different games. Like, it just feels like, what are we doing here? Like, why are we not, like... And there, there's so much inefficiency built into this and, and it's just leading to stupid results. And it's like, come on, we're better than this. There's, there's some easy fix here. Let's just, let's just do it. But you know, that's, that's neither here nor there, but you know, I, I, this tournament has been enjoyable as hell. I, I don't know how I'm going to feel if, you know, North Carolina beats Duke to go to the national championship. Like I don't know, I don't know how I'm gonna feel about that. In terms of you know Marquette's wamping at their hand, like do I feel better about it? Do I feel worse? I don't, I don't yeah, know.
1: Yeah, I don't know. Like I'll say this: like obviously, the number one thing you want is your team in the Final Four. But if you're looking for like some silver linings to make yourself feel better, from a Marquette fan perspective, you've got Theo John on one team. Yep. You've got the team that knocked you out. So it's like, okay, well, they're not bad. They're obviously good. And then you've got the best team in your conference who you swept. And then Kansas, who is not Wisconsin.
0: <laughs> yeah. So yeah. like and some silver linings, <laughs> uh,
1: like if you want to say some things to make you feel better and just make you forget that you got your ass kicked a little bit, uh,
0: I can offer you those things. Okay. I, I, I would buy all of those things. So yeah it's, yeah, it's 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 gonna be an interesting I just anyone but Duke, man. That's that's where I'm at right now. <laughs> anyone but Duke. Yeah.
1: It it almost feels like it's destiny for Coach K, oh, but I'm not hundred percent sure it is. Like, uh you know, I, I think K you know I again I hate that Justin Moore towards Achilles, that was gross. I'm sure you all saw the injury. Yes. Uh, it was very reminiscent of Kevin Durant when you saw his leg pop and yeah, I I don't know God, what, like, is he going to play next year or is he going to redshirt? Sure, man, I, I I hate that Villanova will not have him against Kansas because that's going to be beat Kansas fully healthy was going to be tough, but beating right beat Kansas without Justin Moore. I, I the thing is about Kansas has got to love where they are because they've got the team that's missing one of their best players, and they're going to fa- be facing the winner of a game that is going to be blood, Brutal. sweat, and tears, yes. total exhaustion. And they're just going to pick up the scraps on Monday, assuming they win. So Kansas has got to be feeling pretty good about their chances right now. So there's that. Uh, anything else you want to touch on, Phil, before we uh, wrap up this uh, season-ending pod?
0: No, no. I think I think it's been it's been a good pod, and we got you know we're 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 going into the off-season mode, so they'll be. Uh, you know, pretty, pretty infrequent pods here, but as things break, we'll, we'll get into them or whatever. But I I think that's, that's a good wrap up to the season, right? It was fun. Not as fun as we hoped, but Hey, we can build on this.
1: Enjoy the ride. Enjoy the ride. And I did enjoy the ride. Didn't, didn't like the end, but again, part of the journey is the end. And it was a good season. So like Phil said, um, if you're new to the podcast, this is your first year listening with us. First of all, thank you. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, we, we're, we're sorry. Po- yeah, we're sorry also for putting you through it all. But So in the offseason, we, I don't know, it's it's infrequent, like Phil said, as news breaks. So if Marquette gets a transfer or we get some Justin Lewis news or there's something else shocking one way or the other, positive or negative, then maybe we fire up the bat signal and do a podcast um, like if there's maybe only one transfer at the bottom of the roster, that's probably not enough to fire up the podcast machine, but we'll probably check in maybe about average once a month. We maybe just check in, talk some Marquette things. I'm sure TBT might be a topic we touch on. Yep. Well, the Golden Eagles TBT team will fire up in June sometime. That's always a fun thing to look forward to every summer. And, uh, yeah, so that's it. Thanks for being along for the ride. We've been doing this for, gosh, years. 9
0: years 9 seasons now. Yeah. Yeah, years. so shit, I guess we'll be back for 10. Oh, I guess we're going to have to do something, I think. I think that, yeah. I think we'll, 10 we'll years is like a, fun a, a reasonable anniversary. Yeah, we'll we'll do something next year,
1: maybe something fun regarding the pod. But stay tuned on that. So, as always, hit us up on Twitter, everyone. I'm uh, Joe McCann three. Phil is M O O O F twenty three at Crack Sidewalks is a team handle. You go to CrackSidewalks.com. We post the podcast there. Leave your comments and your thoughts on the com. Also, remember to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, <laughs> Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. And we have a Scrambled Eggs Facebook page as well. Phil, uh, happy off-season to you. I hope you can find enough things to entertain
0: yourself. I will, I, by, by hook or by crook, I will entertain myself until such time as that signal goes up, and then we will just be right back here and excited as always. I will do the same. Until next time, everybody, seashells and balloons.